Well, John 15, once you found that, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We'll read from verse 7 down through verse number 14. We'll read the verses responsibly. I'll read the odd-numbered verses by myself. We'll read the even-numbered verses uh, in unison or together. The Bible says in verse 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I commanded you. The fifth and final sermon in this series, the property of God's love, is this. Love is channeled. Love is is channeled. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to understand uh, just such a vital truth, such an important truth. And Lord, as you are repairing us, as you are showing us our flawed version of love, Lord, may we not buck or run from correction. Lord, may we be quick to see where changes need to be made, and Lord, may we make them. Instead of being on the defense of defending ourselves, Lord, may we be on the offense of bettering ourselves, so that, Lord, the world, broken world around us can see what you intended by loving the world through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, so far in this series, The Properties of God's Love, we have discovered that love is charitable. Love is charitable. What do we mean by charitable? Love puts others ahead of one's self. It is a selfless love. It is not concerned about what's best for me. It is rather concerned what's best for others. And in the sermon, Love is Charitable, we looked at that poem, Others, Lord, yes, others. May this my motto be that when I have, uh, when I have looked at others, I too, helped others, I too may be like thee. Then we went on the next week and looked at how love is compassionate. Love is compassion. We said that compassion was putting your hurt in my heart. Putting your hurt in my heart. It is it is a, a loving on broken people. It is looking for the most broken among us. And instead of attacking them or pushing them to the side or writing them off, instead we pull them close to us and we understand that they're broken and we uh, come along their side. The, the uh, ideal of compassionate love or the biblical picture of compassionate love would be the good Samaritan who saw the man in the ditch and got down off his horse and gave up his his wealth, gave up his time, gave up his resources and took care of the man. He put his hurt in his heart. It cost him something. His love was compassionate. The following week, we looked at the idea that love is committed. We talked about how commitment is lacking in our society and that no one wants to make a commitment to anything. And uh, we, we, we dabble in this and we dabble 
dabble in that and we're a little bit in this relationship and a little bit in that relationship and people are afraid to get married today. They want to live together before they get married. Why? Well, in part because, well, they're selfish, but beyond that, they're, they're, they're afraid of commitment. They're afraid of commitment. And God did not call you to love when it's convenient. God did not call you to love uh, for a short time. He called you to be committed in your love. Why? Because he's committed in his love to you. We're to be committed in our love to him and then in turn to others. The sermon today will play a little bit off of that thought. Last week we looked at the topic that love is chaste or love is pure. And we said this in that message, there are two choices on the shelf, loving God or loving self. Loving God or loving self. We contrasted last week what self-flesh-centered love looks like versus what God-centered love looks like. We said in part that uh, self-centered fleshly love is filled with covetousness, whereas God-centered love is filled with contentment. One is worried with selfishness. The other one is worried with selflessness. And uh, one is worried about gaining the acceptance of mankind. Another, the other is concerned with gaining the approval of heaven. And so we need to do our part to have a love that is pure. Now, originally I was going to preach this sermon last week and last week's sermon this week, but it dawned on me in my preparation that before we can learn how to channel our love, we first need to make sure our love is pure. Our love is righteous. Our love is godly. The title of the message this morning is this. Love is channeled. Love is channeled. Now, what is a channel? What is a channel? A channel, a water channel, would take water from one uh, body over to another body. Uh, we lived in the Cumberland Valley in uh, Maryland. If you know the state of Maryland, it sort of does this. It, it, there's that little, really tiny strip. If you've ever driven down Interstate 81 and gone from Pennsylvania into West Virginia, you, you drive through Maryland and you blink and you're through it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've been on 81. You know what I'm talking about. That little strip right there that you, uh, going down 81 where you blink and you're through it, it's about a nine mile stretch. That's where we lived prior to moving here. And uh, there was a B&O uh, a canal, a water channel that had dried up. And we would go there and take family pictures sometimes. It was a popular spot to go walk because they had dug out this channel where water would run from one body of water over to the other. And what they do is they'd fill it up with a few feet of water and then they'd bring a boat in into that channel and then they would have horses back in the day that would pull that boat by rope from one body of water over to the other body of water. What does a channel do? It connects water from one, a water channel connects from one over to the other. Now, please keep in mind that these little rivers, uh, these little bodies of water, they, they do not make water. Please don't miss this. They do not make water. They channel the water. They take it from one place to the other. Uh, Brother Dave Russo, uh, sitting down here, he works doing HVAC systems and he runs duct work for a living in part. I'm sure he does other things, but he runs duct work and ceilings. The duct work uh, takes the air from the source and it transports it to the destination. Right? So what is that duct? That duct, that air duct, is nothing more than a channel that takes the forced air from the source to where it needs to go. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. 
that air duct does not make the air. It simply transports. It channels the air. Uh, you're going to go home this afternoon and you're at some point going to flush a commode or turn on a sink and water is going to come out of that sink. Uh, why? Because those pipes are channels. Somewhere, those pipes connect to other pipes and the pipes get bigger and bigger and they channel out to a large body of water where that water is filtered and made ready for your home and they travel through the pipes and you turn on the sink and the water works. And if it doesn't, you call a plumber and you say, why isn't this working? Now, the pipes do not make the water, they simply channel the water. They channel the water. Imagine with me this morning that uh, you got home and there was a pipe in your home that had burst. And I mean, it's just spraying water everywhere. Anybody ever had this happen to them? All right. That's, this is not fun. All right. I've not had it, but I've heard of it. And you go down in your basement and you've got an inch of water and then three inches of water and you're calling a plumber and he's telling you, turn off the, 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 the main water source in the home, go and turn that off. What is that? The main water valve brother owns. What is that called? I got it. All right. Even a, even a blind squirrel finds a nut here and there. Um, and you can't find it or you do find it and you can't figure out how to operate it. And you're, you got water just gushing and pouring and pouring into your house and you want it to stop. You really want it to stop, but you don't know how to make it stop. Now don't miss this because this is a big part of the message. We're going to get into the, the outline here in a minute. God is the source. We are the channel. We don't, listen, now, we're capable of conjuring up some version of love. It's not on me to love you with the love in my heart. It's on me to connect up to the source of God, who is an infinite love, and allow Him to pour His love through me and onto you and others. Now, it doesn't matter someone's behavior. They may want the love to stop, but if I'm really connected up to God... It's not going to stop. Why? Because God does not stop loving. I've had people look at me and say, Pastor, how is it that God could love a pedophile? Pastor, how is it that God could love a rapist or a serial killer? How is it that God could save someone who is uh, just the vilest of a human being? And I have to tell you, uh, I have struggled with those questions, but here is the reality of it. My love for others is very limited or finite. I have a finite love that I can give out to people, and the truth is, you can cross a moral line with me where I say, enough, I can't do it anymore, I can't love you anymore. But God's love is limitless. It is infinite. And it never, ever, ever stops. God is able to love the most broken of society, the vilest of society, because His love, He doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who He is. And that is so important to understand. He just loves because that's what He does. Christian, you are not called to love people uh, uh, though the love that uh, through the love that you can generate, you are called to channel up to God and let Him love others through you. 
In this room today, there are many relationships represented that are struggling. There are many relationships represented that are broken. There are many relationships represented that just are not functioning. And I believe what happens, you do the same thing I do. Someone misbehaves and misbehaves and misbehaves, and you try to love them through that. And after enough attempts, you just throw up your hands and say, I quit. I quit. I cannot do this anymore. Now, sometimes we have to change our approach. Sometimes our version, God's version of love flowing through us may look a little different. But God has never, ever called us to stop loving. Why? Because his love is to flow through us. I want to make sure I get this in the introduction as well. You cannot have God's love flow through you unless you are abiding in Christ. Last week, last year our theme was rooted in Christ. We spent a whole year looking at the agricultural aspects of Scripture, and we talked about being rooted in Christ and that developing into a tree of righteousness at Psalm 1, planted by the rivers of water, a tree that brings forth its fruit in its season. And we looked at all those aspects. John 15 is a place where last year's theme, rooted in Christ, and this year's theme, love works, they meld and merge together. Please understand that just like that vine abides in, uh, the branch abides in the vine, you cannot produce the fruit of God's love. You cannot have God's love channeled through you unless you and God are like this. I believe the reason why many Christians struggle to love other people is because they're really not connected to Christ. They give the appearance that they are. They act as though they are. They look as though they are. But you know that your Bible reading struggles. You know that your walk with the Lord, it's superficial at best. Uh, And by the way, opening up your Bible and reading three chapters to check off a list and closing it and having gotten very little out of your word, hey, out of the word, that's better than nothing. But my friend, God has called you to so much more than that. He wants a relationship with you. And as we connect to the lover, God, what we'll find is that this river of love just flows right through us and on the uh, others. Love is Channeled. I propose that most Christians try and love others through their own love and that they generate apart from God. This love is limited. This love is honestly, it's pathetic. Hey, I'm guilty of this at times. This love is a counterfeit of God's love. God has not called you and I to, to, to muster up some version of love, to love the unlovable. Rather, God has called us to channel His love onto the unlovable. Let's look at four main thoughts as we consider this truth. Love is channeled. If you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin there, note number one, love's creator. Love's creator. Now, the Old Testament word for love is the word ahava. I I don't mean to get technical with you this morning, but this is a very important uh, uh, part of the message. So please, right here, I will work to keep your attention most of the sermon. Right here, I'm going to need you to pay attention on purpose. All right, the Old Testament word for love is the word ahava, A-H-A-V-A-H, ahava. And it is used in many contexts, but it always describes a relational love. 
the love that Abraham had for Isaac was an Ahava love, a parental love. Uh, we find brotherly love ascribed to Ahava when the Bible talks about Jonathan loving David. Corporate love. The nation of Israel loved their leader, King David, and it describes the love that corporate Israel had for King David as a an Ahava corporate love. Uh, marital love. King Ahasuerus looked at Esther and chose her out of all the other women that were presented before him there in that godless kingdom. And uh, uh, she was selected. And the Bible tells us that King Ahasuerus loved Esther with an Ahava type of love. This love is a love that begins and comes from God. He is the creator of love and any and all love that we feel or that we give generates or rather originates with God. First John 4, 7. If you know the verse by heart, will you say it with me? Ready? Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. That verse tells us that love is of God. We know the song, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good. To me. Uh, why is God good? Because God is love. He is love. It isn't that it's a part of who He is. No. It explains him. Love is God and God is love. God's love toward mankind is not conditional. Now, please understand this differentiates a whole lot of religions in the world. You know, there's a lot of religions in the world that teach that God is angry at you. He's upset with you. And, and you are not in his good grace. And you have to behave in such a way where you move from the anger of God to the acceptance and love of God. My friend, that's just not true. God is love and he generates love. Turn over with me to Deuteronomy uh, chapter number 7. Hold your place there uh, where we began in John 15. Deuteronomy would be the fifth book of the Old Testament. The word Deuteronomy, uh, it it means uh, the second giving of the law. God gave the law originally and earlier in the Pentateuch. And then uh, this new generation would come up and be ready to go take over the promised land. And God came down to these Uh, these adults who were children the first time the law was given, and he gave it again. Look at Deuteronomy 7 and verse number 7. God loves because he loves. God loves because that's who he is. Look at Deuteronomy 7 verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you uh, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. Verse 8. But because the Lord loved you, And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen for the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. But because the Lord loved you. Why did God love the Israelites? Was it something they had done to earn his love? Was it because they had reached some sort of status that God looked down and said, you know what? They're behaving better than everyone else. I'm going to love them. Oh no. Oh no. In fact, if you know much about the story of the Israelites, they were pretty unlovable. They were complainers. They were murmurers. They were just like me and you. God didn't say, I'm going to love you because of who you are. God said, I'm going to love you because I love. I ahava, I love you. I love the way Jeremiah 31 verse 3 puts it. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, 
saying, Yea, I have loved thee. Watch this, watch this. With an everlasting love. An everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God's love is everlasting. Hey, what does it mean for something to be everlasting? That means it has no beginning and it has no end. You can't go to a point in time and say, God started loving here. Oh no, God has always been love. God has always been love. Uh, let me help you picture God's love like this. You remember when Moses was on the backside of the desert working for his father-in-law? And he was taking care of livestock, uh, most likely sheep, I believe Exodus says it was. And you remember that something caught his eye. And he went over to it. What did he see? What caught his eye? Speak to me. A burning bush that was not consumed. He saw a bush that was on fire, I'm sure, in the desert. That might be a common sight, right? I mean, fire is necessary in a desert to clean up the old brush. Uh, but he watched this bush, and it burned. And I imagine maybe he walked by with some sheep earlier in the day and saw it off in the distance. Probably didn't think much of it. And then he came, when he was coming home that evening, he saw the same bush still on fire, and it hadn't changed. That, 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 would, that would be something, wouldn't it? A bush that, you know, I have a wood-burning stove uh, at home, and we stick wood in there to keep our, our house warm. And about every hour or two, we've got to go throw more logs in there. If I put logs in my fireplace, started it, and came back the next morning, and the same logs were still there, I'd be saying, something's up with that. That bush was still burning. I want you to picture that bush that's not consumed as God's love. It just never stops. Picture the sun with, 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 with a radiation coming off. Heat that pours off the sun over and over and over again. It just doesn't stop. Picture that pipe that's broken, spraying water all over your house. And no matter what you do, you cannot get that water to stop. It just flows and flows and flows and flows. And there seems to be no end to the amount of water that can spray out of that pipe. That is God's love for mankind. Now, I'm laying the groundwork to talk about our responsibility here in a minute, but I want you to understand the fullness of God's love. I want you to understand the breadth, the depth, the height of God's love. It is unfathomable. It is unlimited. Letter A, notice God's affection. God's affection. Uh, In the book of Hosea, God tells Hosea to go take a woman who is a harlot and marry her. Now, uh, that's a strange request for God to tell a man to go marry a woman who's a harlot. Uh, I'm sure many young men who've dated loose women have said, well, look, God told, God told me to do this just like he told Hosea. And that's just not how it works, okay? God's not going to tell you to do that uh, uh, today. But God was making a point with uh, uh, the nation of Israel. And the harlot, the loose woman, the adulteress was a representative of the Israelites. And just as that adulteress was cheating on her husband or husbands, the Israelites had cheated on God with paganism 
many, many times. And so God is uh, putting forth a visual example. But here we see God's affection or God's feeling of love. Listen to what Hosea chapter 3 verse 1 says. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman, be loved of her friends, yet an adulteress, according to the Ahava of the Lord, the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So he's saying here, go have affection. Go have feeling toward a woman the way I have feeling toward others. This is a love that is represented in here as a, as a marital love and as a parental love. It is a love of great feeling. I'll go on a dinner date with my wife and it'd be a, a low lit atmosphere with a candle on the table and we're eating away and I look up and I gaze at her direction and I feel great love for her. I'll go out with my daughter or my son. My daughter loves coffee. She's nine years old. You say, do you let her have it? No, we don't. Um, some of you would uh, probably leave the church if I gave my daughter coffee. What a terrible parent I am. But uh, occasionally, uh, uh, some of you are like, you know, like, like food Nazis, right? You just... You're like, like super strict. And, uh, uh, look, show grace. Amen. The Bible's a book of grace. You can love. Some of you are like, no. I mean, you're looking at me like you hate me. Relax. Okay. It's all good. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, my daughter loves coffee and, uh, she, she gets a sip of ours occasionally. And, uh, on her birthday, we let her get a coffee. And so this past year on her birthday, my son bought my daughter a coffee as a birthday present. You should have seen her face. When they handed that over the counter, I mean, she, she it, it, we could have given her a million dollars and she wouldn't have been happier. And I would have been happier, but she wouldn't have been happier. And we, uh, the coffee was handed over the counter and there was an affection, a feeling in my heart. Some of you saw the video uh, on my wife's Facebook page when we uh, got a puppy for the kids at Christmas and they were just elated with joy. I have to tell you the feeling in my heart that Christmas morning watching that puppy come running up the stairs and into their arms and then them jumping in my arms. That is the love that God feels toward you. That is the love God feels toward me. But that's also the love God feels toward people who are vile and unlovable. Because that's who he is. Am I helping paint a picture this morning? Of who God is and how he loves. Hey, that's how God felt toward Jeffrey Epstein. And that's how God felt toward Osama bin Laden. You say, but they're horrible people. Oh, yes, they are or were. God does not love because people are lovable. Can we just be honest this morning? I'm not lovable and neither are you. We're all pretty awful people when we compare ourselves to a holy God. God does not love any of us because we're lovable. He has a feeling of love toward us because of who he is. God's affection, letter B, God's action. God's action. Deuteronomy, if you're still in Deuteronomy, turn over to chapter 4 and verse number 37. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse number 37. Boy, as I studied this this week and I understood I've always, uh, or it's been explained to me from a young child that God loves in spite. God loves in spite. But boys, I studied this out this week. I was just 
amazed. I was taken to another level of profound appreciation for how vast and deep and real God's love is for humanity. Deuteronomy 4 verse 37, the Bible says, And because he loved thy fathers, therefore he chose their seed after them and brought thee out in uh, his sight with his mighty power out of Egypt. God didn't just say, hey, I feel love. God said, I show love. Uh, God is God is in love with you, but God loves you. Do you understand the difference? He's in love. That's an affection. That's a feeling. But he shows love. I've said this many times, but if I all I did every day when I got home from work was plop down on the couch with a, a cold, cold beverage in my hand and turn on the TV and, and, and say to my wife on the way to the chair, I love you, honey, and I never did anything ever to help her. Uh, furthermore, I quit my job and just loafed around all day and let her do everything while I just sat on the crouch, couch and scratched my tummy and had, had something to drink and eat and watch TV all day. Uh, I could say that I love her. I can voice that I love her. But unless I'm willing to actually put in the work of, of, of love, the action of love, then those feelings mean nothing. God doesn't just tell you that he loves you. God has gone over and beyond to show you. That he loves you. Show you that he loves you. God's action loves creator. Number two, notice, loves chain. Loves chain. Go back to John chapter 15 where we began this morning. John chapter number 15. Notice uh, here, John chapter 15 verse number 9. Look here at the chain given to us in this verse. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Here we have four links to a love chain. You have letter A, God the Father. God the Father. Uh, I'm going to give these to you uh, one back to back to back, and then we'll come back to letter A. Letter B, or the second link in the chain, God the Son. God the Son. The third link in the chain is me and you. Me and you. And the fourth link in the chain here we see is uh, everyone else. Everyone else. So God the Father, God the Son, me and you, everyone else. Now the verses have come and gone off the screen. I'll go back and give them to you here. Notice under letter A, God the Father, uh, and, and leave that up there uh, for me. Notice uh, here, First uh, John chapter 4, verse number 7. God the Father loved God the Son, and then through God the Son, He loved me and you, and through me and you, He wants to love everyone else. This is a chain that connects. If any part of that chain is broken, then someone's not going to feel love. Hey, I'm happy to tell you that God the Father is always going to love God the Son, and God the Son is always going to love me and you. Those chains are unbreakable. Those chain links are unbreakable. Did anybody want to guess what part of that chain gets broken? It's me and you to everyone else, isn't it? We, uh, we don't always do our part in loving each other or everyone else around us. Let's look at how this flows. God the Father loving on God the Son. 1 John 4, 7, For uh, beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. So we talked about this a few moments ago, but it is God's nature. It is God's essence 
to love. John 3.16, look here. See how this works in the form of a chain. For God, that's God the Father, so loved the world, that's me and you and everyone else, that he gave his only begotten son. Now that word begotten means many things, but I believe one of the aspects of God's uh, that word begotten is the word cherished. God's only cherished son, his, his unique and cherished son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting So here we see a feeling. God loved the world. That's a feeling. And that feeling drove him to action. That affection drove him to action. He chose to give his son on the cross so that you and I could pass from everlasting death or perishing to everlasting life. And that's eternity in heaven. That gift of everlasting life. Notice that God's everlasting love, if accepted, leads to everlasting life. How much does God the Father love God the Son? I don't know that I've ever thought about that before this week. How much does God the Father love God the Son? Um, Here's the conclusion I drew. That's impossible to quantify. Impossible to quantify. Those of you here today that are parents, or those of you here today that are not parents, but you have a cherished relationship, whether that's with a a mom or dad or a sibling, somebody in your life that's a relationship you cherish deeply, deeply. How much money would it take for you to give up that relationship? Boy, uh, my wife and I have two children. There is not a dollar amount you could give us where we would take it and give up our child. Just didn't. You cannot, I cannot quantify the love I have for my children. Do you realize that the longer my children are alive, the deeper I love them? Why? Because experiences grow. Boy, I loved him the day I held him in my arms. I felt an awesome responsibility the day that uh, Angela gave birth to Matthew. And then again, when she gave birth uh, to April, I felt an awesome responsibility. I felt a strong affection. But through the ten years Matthew's been alive and the nine years that April's been alive, there have been times uh, to go do things with them, uh, uh, spend times with them. There have been times of correction and punishment. There have been teaching moments. Uh, there have been times where they've taken the initiative and done things that has has warmed my heart. There has been 10 years and 9 years of connection, of depth of relationship, of a love that's grown deeper and more profound with time. Hey, let me just remind you, God the Father has been alive since eternity past. God the Son has been alive since eternity past. How much time has God the Father had to develop a kindred spirit, that deep love, that deep relationship with God the Son? Oh my, when you look at it in those terms, we cannot begin to wrap our mind around how much God the Father loves God the Son. God the Father loves God the Son. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Notice there under the second link of the chain, God the Son loving on me and you. Go back with me to John 15, look at verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, look here he says, so have I loved you. What, what do we look at to know God's love for us? Well, there's a symbol behind my head right now that symbolizes that, doesn't it? Look down at verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. Jesus was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice to show us that he loved us. Aren't you thankful that God loves you this morning? 
Aren't you thankful that God loved you through the person of Jesus? God didn't just sit up in heaven and say, I feel love for my human creation. No, he said they're broken and they're lost. I'm going to send the Son to quantify, to show off that love. I'm going to allow him to die a death to show that love. Let's notice our love toward others, me and you, to others. Turn over to John 13 with me. Look at verse 34 and 35. John 13, look down at verse 34 and 35. Notice there it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. That ye love one another. I have those words, ye love one another, marked in my Bible. As I have loved you, that that ye also love one another. Again in my Bible, ye love one another, Mark. Look at verse 35. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Look down at John chapter 15, verse 12. John chapter 15 verse 12. By the way, chapters 13 on through are all pretty much uh, uh, the Lord giving this at the same time. So he, he leaves that thought and he, he gets it from another angle and then he comes back to it. Look at John 15 verse 12. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Look down at verse 17. Look down at verse 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. What is God's method of loving the world, uh, loving on the world? It's that it goes from God the Father to God the Son, and then it's channeled from God the Son to me and you, and then it's channeled from me and you down to others. Do you see that we have an assembly line of love happening here? God the Father takes His love, and He hands it to God the Son, and God the Son takes His love, and He dumps it all over us, and He wants us to take that love and dump it on everyone else around us. In fact, really what He wants is us just to channel right on up to God the Son, and He flows it through God the Son, and it just pours like a spigot on everyone else around us. We, um, uh, uh, who are we to love? Who are we to love? In next week's uh, beginning of the series, The People I Love, we're going to break this down one group at a time. But who am I to love first? Let me just say this. That loves to be reciprocated back to God. Right? The greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, strength. But then what is the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. So this would include my family. This would include my friends. This would include my siblings in Christ. This would include my neighbor. This would include my employer or my employees, depending on where you're at there. This, this would include even my enemies. We are to allow God's love to flow through us and on to everyone else. It's time we get rid of our shutoff valves. It's time we get rid of our shutoff valves. Can I tell you how we behave and how even oftentimes I behave? Someone's behavior upsets us and we reach up and we doop, 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 and we shut off the valve and God's love up. I'm not sharing it. You can't have it because I am upset with you. If you ever want to see how this works on a juvenile level, just go work in the nursery. You know the toddler's creed, right? What's mine is mine. What's yours is mine. If I had it five minutes ago, it's still mine. If you have it and I want it, it's mine. Can I tell you that as adults, we still sort of behave the same way. We're just a little more sophisticated in how we show it. We, it's time as Christians we get rid of our shutoff valves. You say, well, that person in my life is super difficult to love. Well, stop trying to love them and let God love them through you. 
If, if I will only love you if. Remember the burning bush that was not consumed. Remember the example of the water flowing into the house unimpeded. God's love never stops flowing on us through the sun. You may have a bad day. You may have a bad week. You may have a bad month. You may have a bad year. You may have a time in your life where you've turned your back on God. You may have a time in your life where you've given up on acting like a Christian ought to act. God never shuts off the, the love valve on you. He keeps pouring it and pouring it and pouring it and pouring it. Sometimes you may not understand how God's loving you. Sometimes that love comes to the form of chastisement. Sometimes that love comes to the uh, form of pain and God's trying to break things away from you and correct you and make you into who he wants to be. But God never ever stops loving you. And it's time we start treating the world around us the same way. It's a chain. Don't be the weak link. Number one, love's creator. Number two, love's chain. Number three, notice love's challenge. Love's challenge. Let's get real this morning. Some people are really, really, really hard to love. Am I where you're living yet? I remember when I was a junior hire. Boy, there were some people in my life that I just felt like, oh, they hate me. Kids are cruel, aren't they? There are times in my adult life where I have felt like this person, they're driving me nuts. God has called us to love the really, really, really hard people. With some folks, to love them would feel like you are leaving yourself vulnerable to their nastiness and hatred. Do you know that Jesus knows what it is like to love the unlovable? Some of you are already ahead of me. That's great. Turn over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I'm going to talk about this morning here. Uh, we're going to pivot the message over to what it's like. What the nitty gritty, the hard work of loving those who we would feel like are unlovable. Notice letter A, love requires submission. Love requires submission. Look at verse number 41 of Luke 22. Now, before we read this, let me just set the stage and kind of help you know where we're at with the story. Uh, Jesus has left the upper room where the Lord's, uh, where the, where the uh, Last Supper happened. There he washed his feet, uh, washed the feet of the disciples, and, and Judas left to go and betray him. And Jesus walks his disciples through uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He leaves nine, or rather eight of the disciples at the base there of the uh, hill. And he walks the other three, Peter, James, and John, up. And he leaves the eight at the bottom to pray. He leaves the three alone to pray. And he goes a stone's distance after commanding them to pray. And he kneels himself. And here he is in great anguish and uh, a, a pain of heart. We'll talk about that in a minute, but he's in great anguish and pain. He knows the day, the moment's coming where he will be arrested. He will be falsely tried and he will die a death of crucifixion. Look at Luke chapter 22 and verse number 41. The Bible says, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, speaking of those three disciples, and kneeled down and prayed, verse 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus made it clear on his way into the garden that his father had sent him into the world for the purpose of channeling love 
onto broken humanity. Why is it that Jesus broke away time and time again from his disciples and went apart to pray? It was so that he could be channeled up to God, connected to God, so that God the Father could pour out his love through the channel of God the Son on us. The hour had come where Jesus was going to do just that, channel up to God, so that the Father could be poured out onto the love of God, the love of the Father could be poured out on mankind. The Father could, uh, could have never shown us His greatest affection if Jesus Christ had not submitted His will to the Father. God said, Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do something very hard. I'm going to ask you to love some people that are not very lovable. I'm going to ask you to die for the sins of mankind. And, and Jesus, if you're not willing to do this, I can't show mankind my love. That moment came... It was very real. Jesus knew in just a few short moments the Roman guards were going to show up and arrest him. And he got down on his knees in anguish and he said, I don't want to have anything to do with this. But Father, not my will. Thy will be done. Hey, do you know that God cannot love on your neighbor? God cannot love on your spouse. God cannot love on your coworkers or your boss. God cannot love on uh, 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 your children. He cannot love on that person at your school, teenager, that gives you a hard time. He cannot do it unless you're willing to submit to his calling in your life. Boy, Jesus submitted, and had he not been willing to submit, you and I wouldn't know what salvation is. God needed to pour out His love on mankind through the person of Jesus. But before that could happen, Jesus had to submit His will. Letter B, love requires suffering. Look down at verse number 43 of Luke 22. There appeared an angel unto Him from heaven, strengthening Him. We could spend a lot of time talking about that. We'll save that for another time. Look at verse 44. And being in an agony. Being in an agony. He prayed more earnestly. The harder it got, the more he channeled up to the Father. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Are you picturing this? And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, how disappointing this must have been. He found them sleeping for sorrow. And said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude. And he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near. Look at the betrayal here. Look at the suffering here through betrayal. Drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. We all know what happened from here, don't we? We know that he was drugged. We know that his name was drugged through the mud. We know about the false trial and we know about the bag being put on his head and the, the, the buffeting of his face, the, the, the pulling out of the beard, the, the spitting on him and the spittle running down his cheeks and dripping onto his clothes. We know about the, 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 the leading him before uh, the political leader Pilate and his ordering to have Jesus scourged. They stripped him naked. They beat him with a cat of nine tails until he was a bloody mess. They put a 
robe on his back. They allowed that robe to crushed with the, uh, the drying of the blood. They ran a crown of thorns down between his skin and his skull. They put a rod in his hand. They got down on their knees and they mocked him and bowed down to him. Uh, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. About the time that the blood began to, to, to crush, the, uh, the, the blood began to form a scab, they reached up and they ripped that robe off of Jesus, opening up that womb again. They put a cross on his shoulder. They marched him up Calvary's hill. His physical body gave way. He melted under the cross because he physically couldn't handle it. They pulled a man out of the crowd, helped him get the cross to Calvary. They laid him down. He stretched his hands out. They ran nails through his hands and through his feet. They lifted him up to the skies. And then all of a sudden, God the Father, who had loved him for all of eternity past, turned his back on his son and said, I cannot bear to look at you any longer. Why? Because Jesus had become my sin. Jesus had become your sin. God the Father was channeling His love onto you and me and onto the world. But for Jesus, so God to love us through Jesus, Jesus had to suffer. Are you willing to suffer so God can love someone else? Oh, that person in your life that seems so hard to love. God is calling you to suffer so that He can love them through you. Oh, we're afraid of suffering. We love to be comfortable. We love what's convenient. We get upset when our our burger at McDonald's isn't ready in uh, just a handful of minutes. And the computer crashes and slows down. We're quick to run and get a new iPhone or Android phone uh, uh, when when uh, the battery doesn't last but a certain amount of time. We we hate to be inconvenienced. We check our drawers and our clean clothes aren't there. And we start yelling and screaming. We get upset when our bread is is burnt a little bit or uh, something isn't just right. We're impatient. We're frustrated. And God says, hey, listen, I'm calling you beyond a life of what's comfortable. I'm calling you to suffer so that the unlovable can be loved. Are you willing to suffer this morning? Had Jesus not suffered on that cross, had Jesus not gone through great suffering on your behalf, my friend, you and me would be hell bound. But God said, I love you enough to where I'll send Jesus to die for you. And now God looks at me and you and says, I want you to suffer so that other people will be loved. Oh, what great redemption I have through the suffering of Jesus. What relationship needs to be redeemed and God's calling you to suffer for that to happen? Love requires suffering. This isn't a sermon that I stand and preach today because I'm trying to grow a church. This isn't a sermon I stand and preach today because I want to be popular. This is a sermon I stand and preach today because this is the greatest property of love. Boy, God wants to pour that love onto others. Can I tell you, as God's love passes through you onto others, sometimes it hurts. Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to suffer on behalf of others the way you suffered on behalf of me? Number one, love's creator. Number two, love's chain. Number three, love's challenge. Lastly, number four, love's conclusion. Love's conclusion. Okay, pastor. I'm in. I'm willing to love. I'm willing to submit my will to the Father's. I'm willing to suffer so that others can uh, be redeemed the way God, Jesus, suffered so I could be redeemed. What is the end result? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5. 
Letter A, notice our reflection. Our reflection. You know, the person who is helped the most when you love others, everyone else, others are helped. Don't get me wrong. Others are redeemed. Others, people's lives are changed and, and people are greatly helped. But can I tell you who gets the biggest blessing out of being a channel for God? It's me and you. It's the person who channels up. You are helped more than anybody else. And uh, uh, the first way that we're helped is that we, are, we, we end up becoming like Jesus. I, I got to tell you, I love the thought. I'm in love with the thought of God turning me into the image of Jesus Christ. But I'm not so in love with the process. I'm just not. Because it's hard. It's difficult. Uh, the Lord has to take me behind the woodshed, a woodshed regularly and just wear me out. And He does it with love. Hebrews 13 tells us that the Lord chastens by love. And, and He's very loving in His correcting of me. Very, very loving. But He's firm. Can I tell you that I love the idea of looking like Jesus? Look at Matthew 5.43. And let's read down through verse 47. And think of this passage in terms of becoming like Jesus. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Let me pause here. One of my favorite parts about Jesus is not just that he gave some theory. He gave the theory here early in his ministry and then he went forth and lived it. You remember the chief priests walking by the cross, wagging their heads? If you are who you say you are, come down off this cross. He saved others, but himself he cannot save. You know what Jesus did? He looked up to heaven and said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus didn't just preach it, he lived it. And that's what made him God. Go back to verse 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good... Boy, this is, this, is, this is next level Christianity. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Look here. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans or the, ta- the, 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 the dirty, uh, the crooked tax collectors do the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even those same crooked publicans so also. Hey, anybody can love someone who loves them. But Jesus loves others that aren't so lovable. We use that verse that he sends the sun uh, on the just and unjust, the rain on the just and the unjust. We use that verse, and and, and correctly so, to talk about how God allows good things to happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. and, and, And that's a great verse to go to. But you know what really is being taught in this verse? What's really being taught is that God just is love. He loves the just. He loves the unjust. Rain comes on the just. Rain comes on the unjust. Sunshine comes on the just. Sunshine comes on the unjust. Why? Because God uses both rain and sun to show us his love. And God says, I want you to do the same. I want you to love your enemy. I want you to pray for them that, uh, that use you uh, and, and, and cast you to the side. I want you to, 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 to bless them that persecute you and despitefully use you. Uh, why? Because that is what makes you a child of the Father. That's what makes you a reflection of Jesus Christ. Let her be notice our refinement. Look down at Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect. Perfect. 
even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Boy, that's a tall order, isn't it? I want you to be perfect the way God in heaven is perfect. Uh, uh, that's what Jesus is telling us here. Now that word perfect, uh, those of you who have been going to church a while know this. That word perfect there doesn't mean without error, without sin. It means mature. It means mature. God calls us to a life of maturity. Let me share with you a little secret here. A secret of mine. A, a life tip. If this is all you get out of church this morning, this will help someone greatly. I reached a point in my life where I was having a really tough time loving my enemies. I said, Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand how I can do this. People are nasty toward me. How am I to love them? How am I to do that? How am I to love someone who is just such a jerk? I got down on my knees and I prayed about it. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And here's what the Lord showed me. The first step I, and I, I wish I could just give these to you in uh, these steps in just three or four words. I can't do that. I'll just explain the concept and you can write them down your own way. The first thing I do when someone is uh, hateful my direction is I get down on my knees and I check and see if anything I'm doing is creating that hatred. If so, and I, so I self-analyze. And if so, I work to make it right. Can I tell you what I've found? That most of the time when people are hateful my direction... It's not really me, it's them. Now, are there ever any elements of it that are true? Yep, yep. Sometimes I'm doing something that's greatly uh, uh, exacerbating a problem that they have. And I have to look inward and I have to fix that. But here's what I've found. Oftentimes when people are nasty my way, they have been abused and mistreated greatly in their life. And they're just taking it out on me. And so the second step is that I realize that their actions against me have very little to do with me. Their actions against me have very little to do with me. So now that I've identified that, I can love them around their struggle. They're attacking me for something someone else did to them oftentimes. Hey, I'm not really the problem. They're hurting inwardly. They don't need me to attack them. Attacking them just makes them hurt others more. They need me to have compassion on them. And so the first step is I self-analyze and correct. The second step is I realize that they're a hurting person with past abuses. The third step is that I begin to feel pity or compassion for them. I feel compassion for them. And then the fourth step is that I turn that compassion into visible action that shows them that I love them. That's how you love your enemies. That's how you love your enemies. You know, sometimes that requires suffering. It always requires submission. I want the world to look at me and you and say, that's a disciple of Christ. Because they love others even when they're not loved. You know, I can't do that if I'm loving them with my finite love. But if I can channel up to a God who just exudes love and let him pour it through me on others, then there isn't anybody I can't love. How about you, Christian? You channel up to God's love, or are you just trying to figure out how to do it all on your own? Boy, it's time we stop trying, and we start channeling. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.